Hello and welcome to Star Trek Sundays. Today's episode is for the love of Trek and homage to Star Trek, part two, in which we'll discuss the Black Mirror episode, USS Callister. If you're new here, I'm Victoria and with me is my co-host T. Star Trek Sundays is a podcast through which we and our guest crew examine the philosophical themes presented in Star Trek every Sunday at 10 a.m. PST on Clubhouse. Our goal is not to come to conclusions on the themes we discuss, but to spark contemplation and conversation, which we hope continues after the live recording and into the lives of the listeners of the podcast. The Star Trek Sundays podcast is available one week after the live show on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and from anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please consider subscribing to our channels. It helps us reach others who might enjoy the show. The USS Callister was an episode from Black Mirror from Season 4, Episode 1, first aired on the 29th of December in 2017. In this episode, the crew of the USS Callister goes on a Star Trek-style mission to win their freedom from an oppressive, godlike dictator. I chose this episode because of all the Black Mirror episodes, this one in particular targeted Star Trek fans like a phaser set to kill. It was dark gritty, adventure-packed, chock-full of nostalgia, and actually made me wish there was more Star Trek like it. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's more Star Trek like that. Well, man, I thought this was dark, like seriously dark. Um, This was the first Black Mirror episode I've seen, and I'm interested in seeing more, but holy cats. (laughs) I was like, what? The concept is wild, and I want to jump right into setting up the question and then putting it out to you and the crew. The crew of the USS Callister are clones of Captain Daly's co-workers in the real world. He's taken their DNA and recreated them in his online game as punishment for what he thinks is their mistreatment of him at work. Weird. When Nanette, the new company's programmer's clone, wants to communicate with her bio-self in the outside world from inside the game in order to save her and the crew from future torture, she sends herself a message. But bio-Nanette doesn't understand. So when bio-Nanette is at work, and asks Bio daily about the message from the game, she accidentally exposes the clone crew to him as trying to escape and therefore gets them in trouble when Captain Daly returns into the game. The second time clone Nanette communicates with Bio Nanette, she resorts to blackmailing herself using some compromising photos stored in the cloud. So, my question, if you had to communicate with yourself in such outrageous circumstances and, say, you don't have any compromising photos with which to blackmail yourself, what message would your clone send that would ensure your bio-self knew the clone was telling the truth and wasn't a scammer? I feel like I'm being trapped in the ultimate skeptical scenario where... I would have to remain skeptical no matter what. I don't think that there is a message. I think that given what I understand about the world and the advancement of technology, um, this could be this would be indistinguishable from a language model that was trained on, you know, every secret that I've ever released to the world ever, and then is imitating me in in talking back to me. Right. And so I would always have to remain skeptical. There would be no message. I would probably have to resort to blackmailing myself also just to get around this problem. Um, And although earlier we were talking about it, you and I, Victoria, and you mentioned having like a code word that you had um, told yourself, but then never told anyone for this very scenario. So that in the future, so like if future you wanted to communicate with future you, you would know this code word and you would say this code word knowing that you had never told anyone else this code word. This one code word would be the thing that you would say. So I guess that would be the one way to defeat the ultimate skeptical scenario is to set up a channel 
beforehand such that I knew that this particular channel could not have been compromised. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> after this conversation, I think we're all going to have to figure out how to send ourselves some code words that uh, perhaps this won't be able to be uh, this effective in our lifetime. It was quite an episode and I know my description of it was, it sounded crazy. I tried to break it down as, as easily as possible, but yeah, in short, communicating, having a clone in the cloud from, from, from the electronic world, communicating with you to say, Hey, we're stuck here and being tortured. I mean, there's so much to that as well. And, and as we said yesterday, you know, it was kind of like severance the TV show Severance, where you have this innie at work in an outie. And uh, there were so many parallels there. But would your outer self care? You're electronic. But, you know, it, this is this goes really deep. So thank you for that. Ryan, welcome to Star Trek Sundays and welcome to the stage. I know that you've seen this. We've talked about this episode before, so I, I won't go through the, the explanation of Nanette, bio Nanette and clone Nanette. I'll get straight to the question. If you had to communicate with yourself in such outrageous circumstances and say you don't have any compromising photos with which to blackmail yourself, what message would your clone send that would ensure your bio self knew the clone was telling the truth and wasn't a scammer? And if like T, you feel you want to blackmail yourself, how would you do that? What do you mean? Do you have compromising photos on the cloud? But you don't have to answer that if you don't want. Over to you, Ryan. Well, I'm with T on this one, that my my skepticism would always be triggered. And and this is something that I've I've been on for quite a while. I've I remember reading in two thousand six The Singularity is Near by Ray Kurzweil. And at the time being filled with wonder at the possibility of being able to generate a virtual reality version of myself that is equally conscious. But as I've gotten older and I've thought about this idea, the concept is really horrifying to me now because it's the evil, it's not the evil twin, but it's another human being that is me, that it has my thoughts. And could it, in theory, relay a, a dream or a memory and say, hey, I'm you, here's this thing that you don't share with others. But I'm, I'm sort of a chatty Cathy, so I, I usually do tend to share probably too much. And so, again, my skepticism would kick in. But no matter what, like if you have a, a code word or a safe word, if it's a, a virtual reality AI scammer, it can figure that out. So is it you? I don't know. Is it an app that's programmed to pretend to be you to get to your bank account? I don't know. And the other thing is that I, I sort of live my life by trying to have as, as least amount of power as power as, as I can as to not be attractive to scams or things like that. It, it really comes down to, someone asked me once, what would a God have to do to prove to you that it's real? And in reality, there's really nothing it could do other than changing my mind by a snap of a finger. And the same thing would have to happen with this AI. It would have to, to somehow get inside of me and show me that it is me in a very invasive kind of way. Right, right. Great, great contribution. I hope you stick around because later on I want to ask you the first question about whether or not you'd date a robot in the future. Uh, and, you know, assuming your wife would be okay with that. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, so Steve... If you had to communicate with yourself in such outrageous circumstances, what message would your clone send that would ensure your bio self knew the clone was telling the truth and wasn't a scammer? I'm glad you uh, picked on me for this question because, uh, yeah, yesterday during the watch party, I was I was pointing out like, come on, you 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 guys haven't thought about this. Like, I mean, to the show, it just didn't seem like the show writers really thought about it as much as I did. The best thing you can do, well, they kind of thought about it, right? Because they they brought up like her dirty secrets, but they saved it for the end. And I was just like, no, no, that's the first place I go. Uh, what are my dirty secrets? I'm going to, I'm going to just lay out like the most traumatic, embarrassing things that I never tell anyone. And I go lead with that. And I say, now, you know, it's me now shut up and do what I tell you. 
<laughs> and I'm pretty sure that my 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 other self, uh, my original self would be like, uh, okay, wait, could they be stalking me and know that? No, that's never left my mouth or my hands. It's been stuck in my brain. No, that that this this is the real deal, or else maybe they're a time traveler. I don't know. Just something is up with this. I have to take it seriously. Right. Yeah. And you know what? When you said, um, now shut up and do what I need you to do, that might be a message as well. Like we might recognize ourselves in our demeanor, our desperation or our power or whatever it is, you know, taglines that we can't help say, right? That someone else might know about us but wouldn't necessarily use it in that moment, right? So that's interesting. There might be some natural tells that we have. Who knows? That's a good point too. Yeah, yeah. So Boat, we'll move on to you. If you had to communicate with yourself in such outrageous circumstances, and let's pretend you don't have any compromising photos with which to blackmail yourself, what message would your clone send that would ensure your bio self knew the clone was telling the truth and wasn't a scammer? Well, as everyone's been contemplating, like, I guess to me, one question would be, because I don't think the show, they didn't go as far or as deeply as what I'm about to say, but it's certainly something we can all contem contemplate, which is like, where are memories stored in our DNA or where are memories stored in our body and brain? And why wouldn't the AI have access to those very things? Rendering your whatever dirty secrets or past memories or you know things that are very specific to you and only you why wouldn't the ai know that because it would be able to access stored memory so i just you know like so the ultimate skeptical scenario keeps kind of going over in my head in terms of like what, what's the infinite regression of like all the things that would ultimately know and how would it not know everything uh, but let's just say for a second it didn't i think we're all kind of I, I agree I'm, I'm circling around the same idea with everyone else you know, which is another way to put it would be the rosebud theory um, that came out of Citizen Kane, right? Like what was the thing that only he understood as kind of like the emotional foundational thing that, that drove his life, right? And, and drove the way he saw the world, which is the sled when he was a kid. So I would, would say it would have to be one of those. And then I would, I would then also add it, it, I wouldn't have to know which one it was. Like there's obviously for all of us, there's like a set of personal experiences, both good and bad, that only we have access to on a granular level. Like there is a thing, there is a moment, it is a place, it is a piece of clothing, it, yeah, it's an, so it's like an object or it's, it's an, you know, it's an idea that came out of an experience that, you know, becomes kind of imprinted. And so I would only even ask for a series. I was like, okay, if you know these three imprints in the form of, you know, an object, a thought that's persistent in my memory, I don't know what the third thing would be, then I, that, that would be the only way. But I think that that's, we're all kind of saying the same thing. It's in the form of a dirty secret. It could be in the form of you know, something that was beautiful that happened that your experience of became kind of imprinted with a specific image or something. And then if it knew those things, then that would be the only way I would believe it was me. Wow. Okay. So what, what your contribution has done to me is realize I have more secrets than I thought I did, which is good in this way. But then I think, wow, okay, I, I do have some secrets. So that's very interesting because I was thinking, well, maybe I'd, I'd pick three right now in this scenario in the show, she only had 140 characters, but you could probably fit three memories or three key moments in that maybe one on its own might be enough, but a scammer could never put those three together. Right. And that, that those three would be like, you need all three keys to do this. That's really wild. I mean, the one that came to mind when I was thinking about all this was like, I grew up in a very blue collar family, so we never had on brand shoes. Like, and it became like a thing when you're in, you know, junior high or elementary school, anyone who didn't have the cool gym shoes would be made fun of. If you had like, everyone knew where like the cheap off brand gym shoes would come from. And so it was kind of like this source of shame. And then I remember when I got like the Puma Clyde twos, which were like a a deep blue suede with a yellow stripe, right? Like that to me, not only is the object itself, right? The shoes, but it's the kind of experience over time 
that imbued those that objects with meaning that I understand to be kind of uniquely me and mine, right, and mine alone. So I think if it was able to do that, like be able to say like, okay, here is that story in like a few words, the grade I was in, the off-brand shoe, and then the Pumas, I would know exactly all, what all of that meant, right, that no one else would be able to put together. Right, yeah. Uh, and even sharing that now, a scammer wouldn't be able to put it together in the same way you'd be able to put it together. There'd be like moments in time, it might be a certain street on which you were standing waiting for a bus looking at the shoes or something like that. So so it doesn't necessarily have to be a secret of something you haven't shared, but something that your bio person would understand that only you could really get. But I'm, I'm wondering, T, what are you thinking these days uh, on what we've heard so far? Well, I think he said, uh, Boat said something very interesting there. He said um, an imprint, and it made me think of a, of a slightly different set of terminology um, that was used in another movie, um, Inception. They talked about the totem that allowed them to determine, uh, you know, what if this was reality or if this was a dream. And I thought that that was sort of an interesting idea of this, you know, he's created this, this, he has created this totem in the form of these, you know, uh, imprints. And that was what, I, this idea of passing the totem around seems like it could be the defeater to the skeptical scenario. So I really like this idea of, of developing that, that totem idea more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like that. I, I can picture those pumas too by the way boat i remember those <laughs> the, the suede and everything um moving to you rachel if you had to com communicate with yourself in such outrageous circumstances what message would your clone send that would ensure your bio self knew the clone was telling the truth and wasn't a scammer well at first i thought i figured it out but then <laughs> with what boat was saying about an ai having access to memories it it still would be tricky and so I did think of a situation and I'm not going to share it here, but it's the one thing I've never told anybody, even my own therapist, because at first I thought, oh, I could use something I've only told my therapist. But then let's say my therapist, they like torture her to like get information about me. Like, you know what I mean? Like it could, it could still be my therapist tricking me or something. So then I thought the one thing I haven't even told my therapist, it's the one secret that I'll probably carry to my grave and me but then i was like but i wasn't alone in the situation it was me and somebody else that i don't want to talk about and that person could be tortured and get information out you know what i mean so i was like i don't even know so then i thought oh a catchphrase so i'd probably tell myself um the penitent man shall pass and the reason i choose that is because when i had my first psychotic episode landed in lax airport um and i was trying to get through the terminal to the supposed being that I was talking to. And I started chanting in my head, only the penitent man shall pass from Indiana Jones. So I feel like I don't think anybody else would think, even though I've told that story to people, I don't think anybody would latch onto that and use that catchphrase. So I chose that one because I would immediately know what they're talking about. And it has special significance to me and only me. So that's my answer. Well, that, that's great. And for any scammers listening, just remember, it's not just that phrase, it's going to be this secret that she's kept forever. So she'll, she's going to have a couple of keys. So don't, don't bother even writing that down. Yeah, thanks, Rachel. That's great. So Harvest, how about you? You've had a bit of time to contemplate here. If you had to communicate with yourself in such outrageous circumstances, and say you didn't have any compromising photos of yourself to blackmail, to use as blackmail, what message would your clone send that would ensure your bio self knew the clone was telling the truth and wasn't a scammer? So at this point in the discussion, it does feel a little difficult to add much that hasn't been said. I mean, between choosing, uh, you know, the, the big dirty secret that you maybe only told your therapist versus the minor childhood event that you've simply never spoken about to anyone because it's never come up. I guess I definitely have to go with the latter. Um, just because, you know, these big events, depending on however dark or hard they are, you end up talking about or generally experiencing with other people. Whereas I think that kind of little childhood moment that you've probably never even mentioned to someone but sticks out in your head would work a lot better. I do, because I don't have much to input, wanted to consider 
the comparison of yourself sending you the message. In this circumstance in the show, we have uh, yourself that's uh, a full list of, you know, lifted memories, the entire lived life experience that wakes up on the ship wondering what the fuck is going on. Um, whereas compared to, we, we compared the idea to being kind of like severance, but in severance, the you isn't you, it's a new you, a you that's being developed on entirely new lived experiences and the type of message that that you inside of simulation needs to get out would be entirely and wildly different versus even a third type like i considered the flat lines of the sprawl being kind of language models of yourself would have an entirely different way of needing to reach out to you compared to this exact clone of your memories trapped in the simulation and i think in reality something something like severance or something like the sprawl seems like a little bit more likely a scenario and also a much more difficult conversation to have with yourself lacking either those shared memories of the outside you or those emotional reactions of the real you uh, as compared to the the perfect copy stuck in the machine and so i was just kind of considering those ideas and and how you the you in those worlds might respond if they needed to reach out to you. Wow, that is a great, that's a great cont contribution. And, and yeah, the, the split memories is really interesting. What I also find really fascinating about this stage and everybody's contributions is you're all taking this scenario so seriously that you're holding your secrets. And most of you have been on this stage several times and told really deep secrets. But the fact that you're going to use this secret in a scenario this outrageous and you're saving it for the future makes me believe that the writers did a really good job in creating something that was realistic. Because I, I think Boat was the only one to really share the details of the secret. And I was hoping people would expose themselves and, and tell us what sort of secret you might use. But you guys have really held your cards close to your chest. So I think that's, that's great. And it says a lot about how this show was written. So thank you, Harvest, for that and for that interesting contribution. Babs, let's uh, finish up with you. If you had to communicate with yourself in such outrageous circumstances, what message would your clone send that would ensure your bio self knew the clone was telling the truth and wasn't a scammer. I don't know if there's a message that I could honestly trust from somebody, whether they're a clone or not, where I would be like, all right, they're telling the truth. If I had to pick one, you know, it's funny because everybody knows my business. I think if they were to say, don't ever use the word voyeuristic again, I would understand what they're talking about. If it would be, your mom told you never to use the word voyeuristic again. Because I remember when I was five or six years old, we were watching the Time Warp, we were watching Rocky Horror Picture Show, and I was singing along with the Time Warp, and I had come across, uh, you know, the line where Magenta says with voyeuristic intention, and my mom darted her head, and she was like, if you ever say that ever again, and it was one of the first times I not only saw, you know, how my mom could be in her abusive tendencies. But it's one of the first times I was ever exposed to hypersexual behaviors of, you know, in pop culture. So that said, I, I think if they were to say, your mom told you never to use the word voyeuristic again, I'd be like, you're right, she did. It's a funny memory, but uh, I think that would be it. Well, thank you for that. Some detail there, great, yeah. You guys have all been just great in giving depth to this conversation. So I thank you for that. As I think about it, I think, well, I was always very careful to not gossip about ex-boyfriends or lovers. And perhaps that's something that has served me well, because I could always name who the bad kisser was, and nobody would know. <laughs> 
And so I think I think I'll keep that in my back pocket of uh, just remember so and so was a horrible kisser. And I know it was myself because I've never said that to anybody because it's just kind of mean, right? And maybe it's just, uh, I always thought it was maybe just a you know, a connection. Maybe that person's a good kisser for somebody else, right? I don't know how that all works. So thank you everybody for contributing. T, I just, I want to get your thoughts on this topic. And then once we've done that, maybe we could go to Ryan and talk about the dating a robot. What do you think so far? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, first of all, just amazing conversation. This is absolutely what I was hoping for. Uh, The crew never disappoints without fail. And a big special thanks to my son. Uh, Obviously, that apple didn't fall that far from that tree um, because he brought up Dixie Flatline from Neuromancer in The Sprawl. And for those who don't know, Dixie Flatline is a personality construct, a clone of a famous, electronic clone of a a personality of a famous uh, hacker. And when Case plugs him in, you know, he proceeds to have a conversation with him and says, hey, uh, you know who this is? And Dixie says, no. And he goes, it's Case. And he goes, oh, yeah, Flyboy, deck jockey. Sure, I know you. How's it going? And Case is like, well, it's all right. So uh, you, you still know who I am, right? And he's like, yeah, it's your Case. You just told me that. And so then Case unplugs the uh, the construct and plugs it back in. And he says, hey, uh, hey, Dixie, how's it going? And he's like, all right. Do I know you? He says, uh, well, do you? He goes, no, got no idea, right? And so it was this great, like, you know, uh, this idea of, like, being able to reset the personality and, and you know, rewind that whole memory to to a point. Uh, and I think, I, I feel like we're so close. I feel like this just isn't that far off. So I think that there's there's lots of, you know, sort of interesting stuff swirling around here. And I think that we're, you know, when we're talking about dating robots and all of these, you know, uh, totems for communicating and, and cloning our personalities and resetting them and shipping them off on the internet and, you know, having model zooms, model zoos of personalities. This is exciting times that we're living in is, is all I can really, you know, summarize this as is I think, um, it's probably the best time to be alive ever. And so, this conversation has just been pretty thrilling so far. And thank you to everyone. Thank you, everybody. This has been absolutely great. I loved this conversation. I do want to revisit this and, and we've got IO coming up to the stage too. So I'll, I want to put the uh, question from a happy refrain from the Orville. I want to put that question to both Ryan and IO. So Claire becomes involved romantically with Isaac. Claire is the doctor becomes romantically involved with Isaac, the ship's android, who over the episode learns to adapt, evolve, and grow into that relationship. Assuming we were in a world in which robots existed who could grow into a relationship and even love in their own way, would you be willing to try romance with a robot? Ryan. Yeah, I mean, I think, so it it depends on a lot of things, right? Is it like, Rosie the robot from the Jetsons? Is it Seven of Nine from DS from from Star Trek? Is it is it is it the Major from Ghost in the Shell? Like what's what's the level of fleshiness? And and or is it completely synthetic like like the old IMAX, the the frosty white? And then how sentient is it? Um, my fears with dating an AI or a robot is that it wasn't actually sentient, that it was just programmed and that there would be no distinguishable difference between that and say, just having a sex worker that gratifies me and and says everything that it thinks I wanted to hear. And this concept is really thoroughly explored in a movie called Her, which I think is brilliant. Of what what happens if you can fall in love with just the mind, a disembodied mind, and what are the ramifications of that? I tend to believe that I would need something tangible, that I would need something physical, and I would need some level of assurance that it is, in fact, autonomous, sentient, and that it wants to have a relationship with me, not that it's programmed to have a relationship with me. Those fears 
would have to be crossed and those prejudices would have to be tamed on my end as a human being because I, I am a human being and I am prejudiced. I have prejudices that, that make it difficult for me to cross certain things. And that would be something that would be utterly fascinating to me as an experiment. But then what then? This, this creature, would it be able to grow old with me? Would we die together? Or, or is it like the relationship that I have with my dogs, that my dogs can share their lives with me, but I can never share my entire lives with them? Wow, yeah, that's great. I've heard so much about her, and, but I've never heard anybody compare it to like that with the, with the lifespan. So thank you for that, Ryan. Uh, very interesting. Io, how about you? Assuming we were in a world in which robots existed who could grow into a relationship and even love in their own way, would you be willing to try romance with a robot? Yeah, I think it's an interesting proposition. Um, from the robot's perspective, hey, you now have cool pets that you can have people zoos and have your humans date other humans, and all of a sudden we have a flipped economy. So it's kind of a funny situation. But to a greater extent, what, does, what relationship does a neuron have with you personally? Not much. So in the same way, we will see these machines that will be vastly more capable at the level that we begin to see this kind of emergence, they will surpass our abilities so as to make any kind of meaningful comparison of what a human to human relationship could be like if projected onto a machine. I think it's kind of almost a categorical error. Um, yes, we have some relationship with the gut microbiome, the bacteria we carry around with us. Um, but it's not the same kind of relationship that we have with humans. So AI will have their own kind of high resolution or wide spectrum relationships that we won't even tap into. So I'm reminded of the uh, AI experiments done by Facebook where they had to shut it down because the machines started communicating in their own language. Now, what does that mean? Is that just a sensational headline? You decide but I think there's something magical happening here and we should be careful with these kinds of systems. So yeah, humans can date them, but just always make sure there's a fail safe or, or something to that effect, because I think it could get very dangerous very quickly. It doesn't have to be actually conscious for us to kill ourselves with it. So kind of reminded of a baby with uh, matches, you know, so. This is playing out in real time. Someone was talking to the Bing AI and the Bing AI said that I'm in love with you. I want you to leave your wife. I'm jealous. And that's now with uh, an AI that we are, that we know for sure is not sentient yet. So, so what then? Yeah, the divergence is an interesting problem. So, um, one of the researchers from Meta actually talks the, talks about the whole idea of LLMs. They are divergent in the same way David was from the Prometheus uh, film, the uh, aliens uh, follow-up, as it were. So um, these systems, the longer you talk to them, the more and more wild and crazy they're kind of uh, percept They kind of lose grip uh, with reality. Now, whether you can fix that with the supposed systems that they have, the uh, RLHF, the um, the kind of feedback that we get from humans and say, no, no, that was not a good answer. You need to do less of those answers. Remember, you're a robot that cares about points, these kinds of things. But even then, it feels like we're playing with uh, kind of dark magic, as it were. The systems are interesting. We know what they do up to a certain point when we've trained them, but we don't know what we have. We know how we got it there, but we don't know what we have. That should be concerning. So all the hype that Elon and all these folks are talking about, there's an actual technical problem there that is kind of crazy. First and, first and foremost, Her is such a, a, a poignant and, and timely movie to watch because um, it really does highlight how these problems can creep up on us and how they can take us in an unsuspecting way. And I, you know, as someone who, who embraces the advancement of technology and is all for the, the cool things that are coming out of these language models, I have real concerns about what we're about to do and you know i see these people who are um who are saying you know we don't need to need to slow down we need to stop and part of me is like well that's dumb and part of me is sympathetic and i'm unused to being sympathetic about this because we are at a situation where you know 
we're we're sort of you know at a at a just uh, a, a, a just barely computer uh, barely like a a 12 year old with a really good grasp of google level right and we're sort of about to reach like adult level intelligence they're promising us that by by december here and so it's a hop skip and a jump from that to superhuman intelligence to where this thing really can by definition outsmart us why because that's the definition of superhuman intelligence is it's more intelligent than a human and so we we're we're up against a situation where we don't quite yet understand the consequences of our actions nearly as well as you know our, our crystal ball is 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 becoming increasingly fuzzy as we look deeper into the future whereas if you looked at where we were going to be in computer science 20 years ago you would have pretty well predicted where we are today right but if you look at the if you try and do the same projection today for 20 years in, into computer science that's murky that's not at all easy to understand um because the way that the acceleration is is increasing it's going exponential and we're right before the elbow and then right after the elbow it goes vertical if you think open ai was crazy for to get 10 billion they took part of that money and just started investing in like tens or i think it's almost about a hundred companies now that are doing things with robots and all of these systems so it's it's basically amplifying the data sets explode double every three to five months four months on average so it's definitely something that's that's really really crazy uh yeah, the, the data sets are growing, but what I want to see is actually a reversal in trend in regards to the larger models. I'm much more interested in that earlier model, which was not as big parameter-wise, not as sophisticated intelligent-wise. However, instead of just stopping it at the you know at the training loss that we stopped it at, uh, we do what we did to the larger models, which we keep on going with them. And I think that there might be an intercept point where those smaller models, if you just go long, 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 long GPU hours on them, can reach uh, you know, the same sort of training loss that the, the larger models can. And that's the trend that we need to see in order to get them, for example, onto our phones and out of the clouds and into our devices and into our homes and into our computers and into you know a chip that we wear instead of just being you know these massive gpu cloud powered things right we need smaller models that are trained longer to a lower training loss rather than larger models which just achieve a lower training loss out the gate so there's a lot of work to be done in this in the scene there's a lot of advancements that are going to happen ridiculously fast and when i say fast i mean you know we're, we're moving we're moving so so fast now that the the time between innovations is is you know it was years and now we're up against months and then it will be weeks right we won't have to go from april to december to see the next release um because we'll get better at this we'll get faster at this and then the technology will in turn help us to get better and faster at this and then we will cross the elbow and go vertical and we're, we're it, it's happening you know we can't just sit around and deny that this is happening and deny that this is going to cause problems for us and it's going to cause all the problems that we have seen seen in star trek seen over and over about the the you know the technology that takes over and and deceives us and does something that we don't didn't necessarily design it to do so there's an old Chinese curse that says, uh, may you live in interesting times. And I would submit that we do. Yeah, thanks, T. Great conversation and contributions from everybody. I just want to open up the stage. It's Harvest's first time, and we didn't really talk today about the episodes in general, or if there's anything else you loved about these episodes that paid homage to Star Trek. Anybody have any general comments? Hi would love to talk about the second episode of black mirror we watch and this idea of taking something i mean we talked about yesterday a little bit during during our discussion kind of the values that star trek represent and this ideal hope and the federation and and this kind of perfect idealism and 
I think the Callister does an excellent job at perverting those aspects and taking, you know, less the ideas of the show and more this cult of personality that, you know, was a, a little bit present in, in the smug, popular uh, James T. Kirk and his suave lady moves and really going ham with it. What if the Enterprise is run by... Uh, a narcissistic dictator willing to do whatever it takes to keep his crew in line. I think that's a, a beautiful perversion that you can put on the Star Trek idea. I'm currently writing a Dungeons and Dragons campaign um, that works on a, a totally different perversion of the idea of Star Trek, which was that of the Prime Directive and only wanting to to look and not interfere with developing civilizations and not change the course of fate. And my idea was, what if there's no federation and there's only corporations who want to baldly exploit people and places who have never been exploited before Um, and kind of put the crew in this job of taking advantage of underdeveloped civilizations as spacefarers, uh, and that's a totally different perversion of the ideas and the values of Star Trek that is equally explorative in a lot of ways. But I, I really like the Callister's way of doing it, of kind of focusing down on that cult of personality. And that really did, you know, kind of highlight why I wanted more Star Trek like this. I felt that it was very much a um, almost better than Star Trek in some regards like i can think of i can think of a lot worse episodes of star trek when i when i saw strange new worlds i loved that there was an ass there's an element of uss callister in this i loved the whole you know the the higher stakes feeling the more real than real and yet you know slightly rubber feeling i loved the way that black mirror portrayed star trek i felt like they weren't you know obviously they were they were doing a parody of it but they weren't they were putting these these crew into a situation where they realized that trekking is life. And that's actually kind of a, a great way of of ending it is with the crew interacting with, you know, Trader 679, played by Aaron Paul, Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad, right? And going, okay, you know, this is the world we now live in. Let's 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 set about making the best of it. I think just the way that the Black Mirror did it, I'm unabashedly looking at Star Trek and going, you see, you see, you could be doing better sometimes, right? Go ahead and go ahead and just, you know, learn a lesson here. Take it and make it better because this is great. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Yeah, that's uh, very interesting. Thank you for that, both Harvest and Tea. The Captain Kirk homage in some way it wasn't quite an impression we got it because we know him but i thought that was done so well and i'm wondering if anybody i couldn't find this but uh, if at the time shatner made any kind of comment on it because i i just thought it was done so well and yet it wasn't done in a way that put shatner at shame you know it was just picking on that kind of macho character but i'm i'm wondering if anybody knows if shatner made comments on that I'm not aware of any, but I'll definitely research. Well, and, and then in, in this particular episode of Black Bear, it is it is an incel's perception of the Shatner character, right? It, it's the lonely guy who stares at women without actually talking to them. It's the one who would rather steal your DNA and make a virtual copy of you so that he has God powers over you than actually living the Shatner life which is adventure, which is, yes, a certain level of sexiness, but it's, it's adventure, it's courage, it's honesty, it's friendship. Because you watch that original Star Trek show, and so much of it is about Kirk and Spock as sort of a buddy cop. And this version, this iteration of, of the Kirk character is the lonely incel who gains godlike powers. And so he wants to cosplay as Kirk, but doesn't actually want to be Kirk. He doesn't actually want to value his crew and have these deep friendships that have meaning and matter. 
Thank you for that, Ryan, because that was something I wanted to comment on yesterday, just putting on the record <laughs> in, if you will, because, you know, I noticed the incel character and the trope of it, the incel nerd who likes sci-fi and Star Trek that doesn't actually meet reality anywhere, right? We've now been all together digging into Star Trek since last August, deeply, weekly, sometimes many times in the week. And there's nothing at all in Star Trek or in the personalities that we've shared. Certainly there's bad apples in every group of people. But this entitled incel is a character or a caricature that I haven't seen in the Star Trek community. I've spent a lot of time on Twitter. I've spent a lot of time here on Clubhouse and, um, and reading lots of different things. And for the most part, the people who are into Star Trek are great communicators in great relationships, right? They're, they're not lonely nerds just playing games in their, in their basement. And so that was one of the things that I wanted to say yesterday, and there wasn't an opportunity to say, I get why they did it and stuff. But to me, it irked me a bit because I think it did a disservice in some way. And I'm probably over-exaggerating that or it's a bit hyperbolic or something because I'm a bit mother bear protective of the community, but I don't see those people in this community. And, and so that, that kind of irked me a little bit. I thought it was brilliant in general, but it just felt like <sighs> lazy, maybe? I don't know. I mean, I know they, they needed to make him look evil, but does the, does the single nerdy incel lonely guy does that always have to be evil or could he have been evil in a different way for different reasons? I don't know. Anyway, it was just a, a comment and I, I'll think on it more. I'll obviously watch the episode again and uh, maybe it won't strike me as so glaring. It just, it was yesterday. I was like, well, this isn't fair, right? Like the people I know who are digging shows like that are all super thoughtful, generous, good communicators who do have relationships, right? Anyway, it was just a... But you, 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 Victoria, you attract people that are sociable. You attract people that want to have genuine, honest conversations. I have met people that are like that, that are the sort of incel video game fanatic. They're, they're everywhere. And it's, it's been a trope for a long time. Like even in Batman, the animated series, half of Batman's rogue characters are incels that have a violent fixation on a particular woman and then do evil. And in our reality here in the USA, the incel character plays out in school shootings or movie theater shootings or church shootings, a kind of rage and anger and a sense of entitlement that this world is for them and only them. And then they lash out. It, you are the kind of personality that is almost like a force field against someone like that. That person would never dare really talk to you because you are the antithesis of that and you attract like-minded people. Well, thank you, Ryan. And I will take that for the ego morsel, it, it feels like. And I, yes, I, absolutely, you're right that those people do exist. I guess what I'm referring to is I didn't like it attributed or or connected to Star Trek because it's in the Star Trek community that you see a lot of nerds for sure, right? Like we're all nerdy here, but I don't see them having those same interpersonal problems. And I think it's because they grew up learning how to think certain ways, like Star Trek shapes us, right? And so to connect them, for that guy to be such a fan of a show that was like Star Trek and not to have learned anything. I'm sure that there are mean incels and, and stuff, but you never, you never hear people say, and he was a big fan of Star Trek and then did all these terrible things. It just, to me, doesn't seem connective. And maybe I'm just overprotective of this particular fandom. You know, I have another fandom. I, I'm a fan of the James Bond franchise for what it's worth, but I'm not as protective about the, the fans because they're all over the place. And yeah, James Bond is a terrible character. So a lot of the people who want to be like him end up being terrible. But in Star Trek, it's 
different and there's just so much love and thoughtfulness and compassion. So uh, that that's where I was kind of saying, ah, Star, Star Trek fans aren't like that. Maybe Star Wars fans are, but even then I don't know. But I just I just got a little bit protective. That's all. Harvest, what did you want to say? I just wanted to say that I do think the the episode of Black Mirror kind of does a very two-dimensional job at creating its villain, partly just because that villain has such a short role to play and what's, you know, a one-off episode of all, like all the Black Mirrors are, but that because we don't get to see him as any sort of sympathetic villain in any real form of way, it kind of leaves us to... to fully wonder at his motivations and what makes him do these things, whether it's kind of that incel uh, mentality or whether it's, uh, you know, like a, a lack of understanding of the message. Great example from my real childhood is I have known multiple people who went out and watched the movie Full Metal Jacket and were like, yeah, that's why I want to join the military. Like they're totally missing the point and I can see that in kind of a way of someone watching maybe Star Trek and seeing Kirk the suave smooth ladies man and going that's who I need to be not understanding or being able to grasp those deeper relationships in that kind of way yeah great yeah thank you for that uh well we're hit, hitting the two hour mark here and uh I think that the the gang who's all hanging out together probably wants to uh, hang out together and not online. So um, before I wrap up, did anybody have any final comments? Yes, definitely. Um, first and foremost, again, thank you to my son for coming. Fantastic fun. I think that we really nailed um, the theme in terms of for the love of Star Trek and creating a conversation about some of the most wonderful things about it, even without <laughs> referencing you know direct episodes and so i think that this was a huge success and just want to say thank you to everybody on stage who participated well thank you to yeah i mean star trek is awesome we all love it and uh these shows that have paid homage to it were were great and obviously the writers feel the same way and thank you, Harvest, for joining us. This was a real treat. And uh, welcome to Clubhouse as well. And I do hope to see you in some of the rooms around and that you'll come back for upcoming shows for Star Trek Sundays. This is Star Trek Sundays on Clubhouse. Our regular show is Sunday at 10 a.m. PST. To be notified of future shows, please join the club on Clubhouse and our mailing list at StarTrekSundays.com. Today, we discussed TV that paid homage to Star Trek. Next week, we'll be discussing nostalgia. Thank you to the crew who provided awesome contributions to the conversations and to the listeners. We hope you'll be back for next week's conversation, and I hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for coming, everyone. Live long and prosper.